Hey guys, welcome back to the Newsprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and there are going to be spoilers. This is episode 16 of the show and the start of a new hmm, chapter, I guess we'll say. I'll be looking at Noble Comics, another um, extinct publisher. For this one, I'll just be looking at one series. That'll be Justice Machine. Now, there is another book, I believe, that they put out entitled Prester John. And it was uh, motivated, much as this property here is, Justice Machine, by Mike Gustavich. But I've never seen it in the wild and never been able to put my hands on it. So I don't have a copy. I won't be talking about it. But I will be talking about five issues, the first five issues of The Justice Machine. Cool thing about this, the first three issues were uh, magazine size. And then the final two issues were reduced to the eight and a half by 11 or whatever uh, the typical comic book size is. These are many pages long. The magazine size is the 86, probably somewhere between 30, between 30 and 35 pages long. Magazine size, newsprint. Oh, this is, this is exactly what I wanted to do the show for was to talk about books like, not necessarily magazine size, but so. All right, all right. Let's let's get serious here. If you want to get in touch with me, you can tweet me at Teal Productions or News P Commando. That's the letter P. Uh, that is a Twitter that I set up just for an account I set up just for the show. Teal Productions also has a Facebook page. Teal is T E A L, by the way. The email address is imindyman at gmail.com, and the shows are posted on the website comicbooknoise.com slash T. N-C. That's the letters. Tango November Charlie. T-N-C. Now, this book is um, it's it's pretty interesting the way that it's set up. Um, front and back covers are illustrated. Inside front and back covers are illustrated. There is roughly three chapters, two nines and a seven. In between the two nines is essentially a letters page called Middle Word, where uh, the entire thing many words, uh, was drafted by Bill Lopes. Uh, we know him today perhaps as William Mesner Lopes, but he was going by Bill at that time. And then the book finishes up with some other things that I'll lay out there for you as I flip through it. I have an actual copy here that I'll be using as my source material. Now, the front cover is illustrated by none other than Mr. John Byrne. This, uh, let me step back. Okay. Let's step back. A minute. This came out 1981, um, cover dated June 1981. The three chapters are all scripted by Mike Gustavich and penciled by Mike Gustavich and lettered by Mike Gustavich. They're colored, all three chapters, by Robert Berry. Now, the inks for chapters one and two are by William Mesner Lopes for the figures and Charlie Wallace for the background. And then Kevin Ciambiba helps out with chapter two and does all of chapter three. Outside cover, uh, the four or the, the front cover, I should say, the four. This was this book was two dollars, by the way, in 1981. I, don't, I can't remember if that would have been good or bad. Would have been a little hefty comparatively. But seeing this beauty on the shelf, I can just imagine. I, I can just imagine what it would have been like going into a comic book shop in 1981. I mean, I would have been, what, 13? Uh, that would have been, yeah, cat's pajamas. City in the background, in the foreground is a portal. That is opened, and our six members of Justice Machine are entering uh, this space from that space. Four of them on the ground, one of them swinging by 
some kind of lion and one of them flying. Two females, four males. Um, everyone looks Caucasian. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case. I think one of them turns out to be half uh, something else. Big premiere issue, it says. Yellow blazing with red letters. Inside cover. The Justice Machine. Sue Fillmore, S.U. Publisher, Mike Gustavich, art director, Bill Loeb, story editor, Charlie Wallace, Dave Gifford, Dave Mish, Mish, excuse me, Dave Mish production. Tells us our cover by John Byrne in its pencil form. There's a little, excuse me, inset here. Then the bottom half of the inside front cover has six headshots of our characters. Now, the names are not labeled, but they turn out to be Challenger, Blazer, Titan, Diviner, Talisman, and demon. Those are the names of the characters. Now our story starts full page. Four of the members, Titan, Demon, Challenger, and Diviner, are standing atop a building um, across the way a little bit. Titan yells out and points, look, it's Blazer, and, and blowing out of or through a tower in the distance is this fireball. We have a little narration here at the bottom, kind of setting the stage. And then we have a two-page spread next that tells us the Justice Machine. Conceived and constructed by Michael Gustavich, aided and abetted by inker figures, William F. Loeb's inker background, Charlie Wallace, colored by Bob Berry, lettered by Gustavich. And our four members atop the building are all having to duck as Blazer comes shooting by them, and they each have something different to say about the situation. Down here at the bottom, we're told, beginning a new legend in the annals of comics. So now our four members are doing various things to try to figure out what's going on, what are they going to do. Demon comes up with a plan first. He tells Challenger. uh, Now, Demon is not the leader. Challenger is the leader. But Demon comes up with this plan, and he tells Challenger to shoot this particular thing. He runs by and rips the cloak off of Diviner, jumps, holding the cloak. Uh, Challenger shoots this particular thing, which explodes, which catapults Demon upwards with this cape. He twists into the path of Blazer, covers Blazer with the cloak, putting her out uh, as if she's on fire, but also giving him the ability to touch her as she is this giant fireball. The fire stops the propelling of Blazer, but it doesn't stop her momentum. So she is coming down back towards our team, the Justice Machine Titan, who can grow uh, much like a giant man or, uh, well, much like Hank Pym in Marvel Comics. Hawkeye did too, but Hank Pym catches, but the momentum is too much for even Titan. Uh, Titan is close to the edge. The momentum throws him over the edge. He falls over, catches one leg, bending at the knee on the, the roof, dangling over. Challenger shoots out from his gun uh, some type of wire that wraps itself around Titan's foot. And then Challenger um, activates magnetic boots, the soles of his boots that he has. And he's holding on to the line, holding Titan, holding Demon, holding Blazer over the edge of the building. Um, Diviner is uh, nowhere to be seen. Little uh, and, and so far now we have Blazer who can fly as a fireball, maybe. We'll get a little bit more info here. Well, I'll wait, uh, and I'll go into what we know after the first chapter. It's it's almost done here. A little comedic relief here as Titan is hanging 
outside the building looking through the big window at maybe some kind of restaurant or somebody's apartment or something like that. And he's talking to them. Finally, Blazer recovers her wits and helps propel Titan and Demon back up onto the roof. She um, apparently now we see she can fly. She can control flame. She's threatening Maxinor, which that may be the first reference I believe we've had to Maxinor. Uh, she's going to find him and, and do him in, you know, she's kind of with the flame hand. So they're talking. Everybody gets back together. Challenger asks, as I indicated, Diviner, where were you? I could have used some help. I'm holding up three adult people with this, you know, wire cable, da-da. Then Challenger calls into their headquarters where we meet the sixth member, a dude named Talisman, and he has run a report, got some information for the rest of Justice Machine. They regroup in their six-engined jet craft. That's what we're told. I didn't make that up. And head to the research center, uh, research central, which is their headquarters. They're going to use a dimensional lock because they're looking for this Maxinor person. And we find out that he has been determined with 99% probability to be on one of the alternate worlds of Jorwell. Earth. Now, Jorwell, I believe at this point, is the planet that they're on. So they're already aware that there are alternate realities, other dimensions. And they have determined, I'm not sure how, that there are other planets analogous to Jorwell. And one of them in one of the dimensions is Earth. You know, this is just thrown at us. There's no explanation. So they're going to use the dimensional lock to travel to Earth looking for Maxinor, and so ends chapter one. Now, so far, Blazer can fly by way of flames and can can produce and control flames. Titan can grow, and we'll say that exponentially as he grows, his strength increases, but it may just be the normal strength of a man in his shape, uh, physical shape, that size. Demon, uh, we don't know much about Demon at this point. He's he's kind of cool. He's got a half cape uh, draped over his shoulder. His outfit is red and blue. Um, <laughs> Titan has this really curious outfit. It, it covers his shoulders down right above halfway from his neck to his nipples, all the way across and up over his head, leaving his lower jaw open and his up at the top of his head open. Really odd. And he's got gauntlets on. Pants, uh, high, high waisted. They come up over his, halfway up his abdomen. Uh, Diviner is in green uh, with a full cape, but you can see in some panels, it looks like she's got like maybe a white bodysuit with a light greenish, uh, kind of like one of those big sweater type things that have come into vogue recently that women will wear, kind of like a big, a long sweater jacket kind of thing with a darker greenish cloak, which we're already familiar with. Uh, Challenger is uh, basically a 1981 version of Cable. Okay. He's not as big, but he's got the pouches. He's got a weapon. And all that we have seen him do is use his weapon, but I assume that the pouches carry different types of ammo for his weapon. So Blazer controls fire. Titan can grow. Challenger is a, we'll say, a weapons expert. Uh, Diviner at this point, we're not really sure. Uh, Demon at this point, we're not really sure, although he is, you know, quasi-acrobatic, I guess you could say, from this first chapter. Um, I'll, I'll go on to tell you just from knowledge that Demon will turn out to be be a martial arts expert. 
Um, talisman will be some kind of dude that can affect probability. He looks at it as luck, but I, I think, you know, more scientifically or superhero-ly uh, physics explained, it would be probability that he affects. And uh, Diviner, I'm still not sure. Even having read previous issues of the many uh, iterations of Justice Machine, I can't off the top of my head quite put my finger on what her powers are. So there we are, chapter one. Chapter two, uh, we see that they are much uh, disturbed by their transportation to Earth. They beam into the top, the roof of one of the World Trade Center buildings. Uh, unfortunately, we know today that would not be possible. Well, no, it might be possible. I think there's a large building in that place now, isn't there? Uh, Twin Towers square or something like that so anyways uh, on top of twin towers and no don't ask me which one i can't tell by the drawing so they're here they kind of get their bearings um now we see that something about diviner allows her to locate maxinor not sure how um she can tell them direction and if they're getting close so she's going to be kind of their uh early days compass current GPS, what we would call it. And so they're rushing. Uh, Titan runs over to the door, the, the stairwell there at the top of the roof and rips the door out. Um, Challenger is kind of taken aback. You know, we need to come in here and do what we need to do and get out with leaving as little evidence as we can. We don't want to cause an interdimensional incident is what he keeps saying. So he is, um, he is that, that personality for the team. Um, I think I was able to discern just from this reading, I know from other readings, though, that Jorwell, uh, excuse me, the Justice Machine is a law-keeping force for Jorwell. I believe they may be, at this point, uh, intended to be the premier justice taking, getting, giving, whatever. They're like the, the ultimate police force for Jorwell. Jorwell is a um, fascist totalitarian state, which they don't, they don't really get into that too much here. Uh, maybe they do actually by the end of this issue, but that's that's what it is. It's fascist totalitarian. I think I can say both. Anyways, I'm not a poli-sci major. I was a biology major uh, in college. Then I switched to geography. And then I switched to GIS. And then no, I'm kidding. Then I graduated. All right, so they get into the building. They find an elevator. Uh, Titan knows how to control the elevator. I don't know. Maybe he's studied up on Earth mechanics. Maybe he just discerned it by looking at it. So all six members get into an elevator. And then on floor, um, floor somewhere between 78 and 87. Not really sure. Elevator stops. Two people get on. A woman, all dressed in red, and a largest gentleman smoking a cigar. Each of the members of Justice Machine are thinking to themselves. Finally, Titan has enough and tells the guy he needs to put out a cigar. And the dude tells Titan to get bent, basically. Uh, as they're leaving, it, it rings on their floor. I think it's the lobby, actually, so everybody should have left. But they get out and the other two that got on earlier um, stayed on the elevator. Maybe they're going to the where the cars are parked or something. I don't know. But Blazer... Uh, asks if the dude needs a light, and she completely smokes his cigar while it's in his mouth, just blasts it away. They rush out. We switch scenes. We're told, on Jorwell, an interdimensional view screen begins to focus, and on that view screen looks to be a black and white image uh, manipulated somehow of a photograph. This looks like it was actually a photograph, but now it looks like, and I, I don't, if, if you're familiar with this time period, the 
80s. Um, yeah, the early to mid 80s is when it was going on uh, in an attempt to, I don't know, be avant-garde, stretch the art form, you know, what have you. Uh, there was this thing where, and actually, I believe most recently, somebody did it. John John Byrne maybe did it with a Star Trek series that was being put out by, I don't know who has the Star Trek franchise now, IDW maybe, uh, but, but it was, he was doing the current take on this, where they would take photographs and they would cut them up. Maybe montage is what that's good, but that doesn't quite sound like the exact name of what they're doing, but they would insert photographs into the written drawings to, to make different levels, you know, like we can do now on, on computers. And the city kind of looks like an attempt to do that. But the next page, definitely, where the justice machine is walking around and we have the people of New York in the foreground. In the midground is justice machine. And then you have buildings in the background. So they're, they're attempting to do 3D kind of in this. And Montage is, is the word that keeps coming to mind, but I don't know. Photo, I, I, I don't think that's what this is called, but that's the concept if I, if I have described it well enough for you. If I haven't, just grab your copy of Justice Machine 1 from Noble Comics and look at page 15 and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But we're introduced here on page 14 to Zarin. Zarin is the head uh, law uh, officer of Jorwell, and he is indicating uh, he's he's asking his people where the justice machine are, and they say that they have gone to Earth looking for this Maxinor person, and and that's it. Okay, this is not where we learn more about Joe Well. Or wait a minute. Yes, it seems that there is no official record of the clearance for justice machine to travel to Earth. He says this, combined with other synthesized or altered evidence, will certainly convince district tribunals that the far-famed justice machine has in fact defected to the side of Jorwell's secret revolutionary underground and are seeking obscurity on Tara, T-A-R-R-A. I guess kind of a take on Terra. But so Zarin is setting up the justice machine to take the fall so that there is no one else with anywhere near the similar powers governmentally as he, Zarin, has. So he is getting ready to betray Justice Machine. Um, we find that he is typically the person that gives them their orders. He's in charge of them. But I don't, that didn't necessarily come out in this issue. And maybe that's a, a, another volume of the book, really, that that comes out in. These five issues that I'm going to talk about from Noble Comics, this is the first volume of that. And then uh, there's another little tidbit here at the end that I'll add about mm, perhaps the second volume. And then the third volume, I believe, picks up at Kamiko. All right, Justice Machine on Earth. End of the second chapter. We have a middle word. The Artist Machine, a full page spread with two, four, six drawings of Sue Fillmore, Kevin Symbita, Siam, Siambita, Charlie Wallace, Mike Gustavich, Bill Lobes, and Bill Berry. Uh, whimsically drawn, but probably close to, you know, how they looked other than the clothes that they're wearing, but facial features. And um, oh, no, I'm sorry. This wasn't the end of the second chapter. Oh, was it? No. So they get down on the street. Uh, they're waylaid by a cop. He's like, look, man, you people in weird outfits, you got to get out of here. I am tired of seeing you. Hey, Charlie, he hails a cab. Says, uh, will not you take these people wherever they want to go? Put it on my tab. That's 
cool, right? And Charlie's like, yeah, I'll take them where we need to go, Chief. So they all climb into the cab and Diviner is, uh, you know, GPSing uh, psionically, whatever she does, to where Maxinor is. And we find that the taxi is taking them into seedier and seedier parts of New York City. I know by word what that means, but as part of, as far as what part of New York City in 1981, I'm not sure what would be CD. You, your mileage may vary on where. Those of you that are have been in and around New York since the early 80s, maybe you you would know. So they get out of the car and they see a figure down on an alley. A diviner yells out, Maxinor, there he is. They give chase, but the ground starts to tremble, and then to get away, Titan busts out of the alley through a building. So he, he busts a hole in a building and they step through it. Out around, they lost him, but now they're trying to track him. So they're track, track, track. They get to a section here of the city with some vacant, semi-demolished buildings. One of those buildings is brought down on them by some kind of beam from off to the side, and it falls on the whole group. And then here in the background, we see a little dude uh, figure, a uh, kind of a shadow figure, and uh, some kind of thing with its scorpion-like tail highlighted down here in the little corner of the drawing. And then the third chapter, entitled Death by Decree, the Six members of Justice Machine have been gathered up and are being held captive in this thing that's holding each of them in a different cylinder that covers their body up to about the shoulders, but then leaves them exposed, kind of like a big, uh, like they're in a cup, right? And the cup is crushed in around the shoulders and just the head and upper shoulders are exposed. Uh, Demon, Prosecutor Zarin, what's going on here? Zarin, Justice Machiners, you have been found guilty of treason. The sentence, death. The executioner, Death Spencer, and he's pointing to this little robot kind of bio-body-botic thing here with the scorpion-like tail. Do you have any final words? And so each of them, uh, Blazer has words, Challenger has words. Someone in the background, a, cu- a couple of people are watching the proceedings. One of them wants to interrupt, but there he's being held back by the other. Zarin has heard enough. He gives Death Spencer the indication to death sentence the Justice Machiners, and it approaches Titan first and is going to uh, zap him or, or poke him, sting him with this stinger thing on the end of its big long tail. And then one of these individuals at the command of the other finally acts, and we're told it starts with a slight vibration and quickly alters to an ear-piercing, ear-piercing squeal. Apprehension fills the air. What was haughtiness now turns to uncertainty, and righteous servitude suddenly becomes a mechanical desperation. And then the uh, execution machine, this death dispenser, explodes. Turning, you know, looking around, Zarin finally sees that back here is Maxinor, and Zarin and Maxinor have kind of a ideological face-off. We find out that Maxinor is a revolutionary, that Zarin is in charge of a, a fascist uh, totalitarian state, and he's he's going to win. They'll never be able to go back, yada, 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 yada. And then there's a beam from off picture that separates Zarin and Maxinor. And we are introduced to Youthquake, who was born on Earth and is the son of Maxinor. So apparently Maxinor has traveled to Earth enough times to sire, um, and he has sired Youthquake. So I think what he emits are like vibrations. Who Who is like that? Richter, maybe, of the uh, X family? Uh, so after this, Zarin 
and Maxinor go at it for a little while longer. Maxinor ski tails it back home, skedaddles it. Maxinor and Challenger have a little tete-a-tete here once again. Challenger being a holdout for what things are supposed to be like, although after having heard and almost been killed by Zarin, he understands now that the Justice Machine does not work for Jorwell anymore, nor should they, because... but. Do they really want to work with for Maxinor because he's a revolutionist? So it's like, well, I don't agree with you, but I can't work with him. So I, I don't know what to do. So they have some more philosophical, ideological talk here. All of this from the time they got captured by Zarin. The interactions of Zarin, Maxinor, and now Challenger of the Justice Machine is all being done to set the scene for us as to what this situation really, really is like on Jorwell. Who the sides are, so to speak, and allows you to uh, philosophically side with one of these arguing parties. That's that's the whole point of what's going on here in the story. The final page of the story, yeah, is another uh, photo manipulation where the photograph is the Statue of Liberty in the background standing in front of it are five of the members of the Justice Machine with Blazer flying above, kind of hovering, and ideological balloons here as to the Justice Machine not knowing what they need to do or where they're going to go or whatever. They're they're displaced now because Earth is not their home and they can no longer be home at Jorwell either. We're told next issue, more pages, more action with a wrap around cover by Mike Gustavich and Terry Austin. Next page is just a big panel that says, Think Noble Thought. The facing page, um, which would be page 627, is a drawing by Mike Gustavich of a sand and sandals kind of dude attacking some mythological multi-headed beast with a knife on a the edge of a precipice uh, with mountains sketched in in the back. Then a big advertisement for Mechanoids, a new science fiction role-playing game from Palladium Books. I don't believe I've ever heard of familiar with it at all. And then the facing page is a full-page color drawing by Joe Zabel of a skin diver trying to fend off a tentacled creature. Next is an ad for Justice Machine Original Art. Now, at this time, the cover and splash page aren't available, but that first double-page spread that I indicated, you can get the original art for 45 bucks. Basically, everything else is 25 bucks a page, with a couple pages dipping to 20 Extra special offer, Justice Machine page roughs. The roughs for each page, just $2. Many of them consisting of nearly complete pencils, originals, and roughs. 10 by 15. Ah, so there's the original size, 10 by 15. Then the inside back cover, subscription time, Justice Machine, and a book entitled Prester John. Prester John was released, but it was only one issue, and most of it was a Mike Gustavich vehicle stories that he had done previously. Um, the information I've been able to locate for it indicates it was published in 1976, which would have been five years before this. I don't I don't know. I kind of question that something like that would have been published in 76. That would have been so But anyway, uh, you could get a four-issue subscription for $1.25, or no, for eight, excuse me, $1.25 each, for eight bucks or an eight Issue subscription for 16 bucks, and I believe this was designed to be quarterly. 
or you could order just the next issue for two bucks. So th- this was a quarterly magazine. Uh, back cover. We're told next issue. Don't dare miss it. A exploding balloon over here on the left says wraparound cover by Mike Gustavich and Terry Austin, colored in red. The background is red. The type print is black. Over on the right-hand side is a yellow burst. Story and art, Mike Gustavich, Charlie Wallace, inks by Bill Loebs, Kevin Ciambeda, colors by Bill Berry and Joe Zabel. Down at the bottom, the text portion of the picture tells us action, 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 as the justice machine takes on the Guardian. Several people here. One looks like the Thunderbolt. Is this the Guardians uh, Thunder Agents? Because one of them looks like a Thunder Agent. Here's a, a girl swinging some kind of big uh, ball weapon. Here's another giant. Here's a dude with a shield. Here's a dude that looks kind of like he's quasi-invisible, something like that. And then someone else here fighting Titan. So interesting. It'll be. I'll be curious to see who the Guardians are. So this is the first issue of the first volume of Justice Machine. Now, this is five issues. After this, Noble Comics went in with um, Texas Comics, I believe it was, and they produced an annual that had the Justice Machine, the Thunder Agents, and my all-time favorite group, the Elementals, were introduced. Now, that book was talked about and is available on the 21st Century Boys podcast feed. Look for episode one of the Cancelled Comics Cavalcast, and that book in its entirety was talked about by the crew there, one of which was yours truly. So um, I think that's everything that I really wanted to mention about Justice Machine here, the first issue. I like it. Uh, I like the coloring. The coloring is kind of, because it's on newsprint, it's kind of a, a mute palette uh, in combination with the the printing. Oh, um, I described everybody's outfit except Talisman. He's in a suit and tie. That's That's his outfit because he... Never does any. He's, his luck always keeps him from having to do anything, from getting in the way of harm, from, you know, so. All right. So next month or, well, two weeks from now, I think, really, I will be talking about issue two of the first volume of Justice Machine as Noble Comics put them out. So thank you for listening. This one's a little bit longer because the book's a little bit longer. I appreciate you hanging out with Catch you guys next time. Ciao.